Specialty Story, session number 119. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. If you are new to Specialty Stories, thank you for taking some time to join us today. If you're a pre-med student, I highly encourage you to check out the pre-med years, the MCAT podcast, the MCAT cars podcast, and our other podcasts for pre-meds. And if you are a medical student, go check out Board Rounds, where we help you with your step one or level one board exam. This week, I have a great guest, Dr. Tanya Aurora, who is a surgical oncologist. We start the conversation by finding out when Dr. Aurora first became interested in surgical oncology. So that decision um, to go into surgeonc was probably more gradual uh, than the um, black and white of, I want to be a doctor. Um, I had um, early experiences as a medical student in um, cancer surgery. So my rotation in general surgery was actually at a place um, the VA hospital associated with Virginia Commonwealth University. And I got to see a variety of general surgery cases, but I also got my first foray into cancer surgery. And I didn't know um, at that point, I just um, knew I loved being in the operating room. And I think um, in the first year or so of residency, your intern year, um, you're kind of overwhelmed with the management of patients on the floor you're getting to the operating room here and there. Um, you're doing sort of one month rotations at a time. So you're just, you feel like a, a ball in a um, pinball machine. And so there's a lot of things coming at you. And it, there wasn't real insight still into what I wanted to, to specialize in. It really came, um, came clear, I think, in the uh, latter years, I would say during residency in the third, fourth, and fifth year that I could say, well, this is where I feel the most satisfied. This is where I feel the most rewarded. This is where I'm actually making more of a difference in um, when I leave that patient encounter and, and step out of the room and close the door behind me. I, I have a different feeling than if I'm in another environment, in the vascular surgery clinic or in the trauma bay, um, you know, all those sorts of, of areas of surgery were interesting and were fascinating and had huge adrenaline rushes, but, um, nothing really left me with a longstanding satisfaction of being able to manage and take care of, and sometimes take out and sometimes cure cancer. What traits do you think lead to being a good surgeonk doc? Well, um, as I think I started to allude to, it is really about wanting to um, take care of the um, patient as a whole and and want that long-term relationship. Um, Obviously, there's the uh, perhaps the cancer retreat initially um, in the operating room. Um, There's 
sometimes a very extensive post-operative course. And um, that relationship with the patient and their family is really, really fragile sometimes and really sort of sacred. So wanting to be able to navigate that and um, being patient um, because patient with yourself first of all, because we can't um, fix everything, but we do the best that we can. Um, patient with yourself because sometimes you can't um, fix it at all. Patients come and the cancer is already spread and it's, it's even more uh, devastating to have to say that I can't offer you anything surgically. You have to be patient with the, the, um, the person who's facing the disease and, and their family. Um, being able to have some of those very difficult conversations um, or navigate very complex uh, surgeries uh, with them is um, takes a long time. It takes a longer time than, um, say, you know, a, a standard appendectomy or a biopsy of a skin lesion or a here, try this pill. Um, sometimes the conversation can be very um, in-depth and complicated and you're facing uh, life-threatening issues. For someone who doesn't know what surgical oncology is, can you explain what types of patients you're seeing as a surgical oncologist? Yeah, so um, surgical oncology is a two or three year fellowship um, after uh, an individual completes a, a five year general surgery residency. You do a fellowship to subspecialize and train in surgical oncology, and as the name implies, it's it's cancer surgery, but it's uh, still within the bounds of um, the thyroid, parathyroid surgery, uh, the breast, um, complex uh, gastrointestinal surgery of the esophagus, pancreas, liver, stomach, um, intestine, uh, both large and small, um, and the management of soft tissue cancer. So melanoma, um, sarcomas. Um, and, uh, so we, we learn, um, multitude of skills and, um, in different parts of the, the body. Um, but you know, all centered around uh, treatment of cancer. When you're seeing someone in a clinic for the first time, are they coming to you already diagnosed and you're just there to to take out the the cancer, to, so to speak, uh, or are you intimately involved in the diagnosis and and figuring out what to do next? Yeah, I would say both. You know, the um, the typical patient that comes to the clinic is has been referred because of a either a new finding or a new diagnosis, and I would say the vast majority that come to our outpatient clinic setting have a diagnosis. Um, Someone has already led the workup, whether it be a gastroenterologist or a primary care physician or um, the um, breast mammographer that's done the biopsy. Someone has done some of the, the workup for us. Um, there are, are certainly cases we get both in clinic and in the hospital in the inpatient setting where the diagnosis isn't a known entity, and we are helping to facilitate what is the right next step coming up with that differential diagnosis and then um, guiding that path. And what does a typical week look like for you? 
so it's a balance of of clinic and of uh, operating room time. And I can be in the operating room um, depending on the availability two to three days a week. Um, I can be in clinic about the same amount of time. And um, and then, of course, there's some time built in for um, administrative work and as well as the uh, teaching responsibilities. So I'm actually the associate program director here at Augusta University. And so I've taken on some particular um, projects that interest me that are, are geared towards just the residency education. What does call look like for a surgical oncologist? So it can, it can vary depending on the training environment. Um, so I think that geography, competing hospitals, the number of partners that you have can all play into that. Um, having joined Augusta um, since April um, of this year, I'm familiar at least with my own training environment um, at Virginia Commonwealth and with the facility I came from, which is the Geisinger Health System in Pennsylvania. And so in Pennsylvania, I had a decreased number of, of partners. And so we basically did evening night call every other week and then shared weekend call with multitude of partners. But there are some surgical oncologists, depending on the practice environment, that will take some general surgery call. So um, some non-cancer surgeries, some gallbladders, um, emergency cases, that kind of thing. At Augusta, the majority of my call is really centered around the cancer patients that we have in-house, any new cancer patients. And my weekend call is really about um, the same. So I take a share call with my partners. I'm on um, every fifth or sixth weekend. And um, I take a share call during the week with two other partners. So every third week, I'm, I'm covering the the uh, new consults and new um, uh, things that come up. For a student who it knows they want to be a surgical oncologist and those are the only patients they want to see, what are the, the chances that they can find a position where they are only doing surgical oncology and not general surgery as well? Well, I would say the likelihood is um, higher at an academic facility where those niches are already carved out in a, a hybrid environment or a community practice. The uh, expectations um, I would imagine are going to be higher that some general surgery uh, coverage is, is uh, entertained. For you, why did you choose an academic setting versus going out into the community? So I have always had an interest in teaching and, um, you know, having done um, 13 years of, of training, um, you, you sort of learn along the way as you have more and more juniors to train, um, whether you have an affinity to it or not. And for me, it was one of the most rewarding parts of being in that environment. Um, so I really wanted to continue um, to be able to practice in an environment where um, I was operating with uh, residents and um, in, in a learning environment where, you know, they were in clinic with me and I could have a, a role in kind of 
hopefully enriching their curriculum. Now, you mentioned already that the Surgical Oncology Fellowship is two years. Is that pretty standard or is it a range of two to three, depending on research and program? So depending on program, I would say there's always some research time built in, whether it's two or three years. Okay. And what should a student be doing or a resident, um, what should a resident be doing to make him or herself competitive for fellowship? Um, So research uh, is important. Um, Many specialties kind of wax and wane in the level of of, um, competitiveness. And the um, more recent years, surgical oncology has become quite competitive. And so having yourself um, stand out as an applicant is important. Most fellowships in surgery look at the standard letters of recommendation um, and obviously getting them from the right people and having them say nice things about you is important. Um, Having some foundation and a a real clear uh, insight into why you want to do this is also really important um, to be able to sell yourself and, um, and have a good foundation during residency where you've proven some reliability and um, and a good fund of knowledge. And so fellowships will often take into account the in-service uh, exam scores um, for surgery. It's called the site, And so those scores, of course, are part of your application process. Um, and then the idea of um, research, some research, um, you know, people, of course, start research in medical school but doing it in residency as well um, also, I think, adds a lot to um, your application. Um, of course, the, the research can be in, in different fields. It doesn't necessarily have to be in surgical oncology, although that looks nice and the commitment um, clearly to the, um, to the area is, is always good. As long as that research has been fruitful, in other words, has resulted in in your being able to demonstrate uh, either a presentation, a poster, um, a, a publication, uh, hopefully that, that's always the goal. For the osteopathic medical student and resident listening to this, what does uh, he or she need to do to make themselves competitive for surgical oncology fellowship? So I know that's really been in a... Um, a little bit of a transition because um, I recall at least a couple of years ago, a DO student wanting to apply for for surgery um, and coming to me for advice. And I think someone had recently told her that she was not going to be competitive. And um, because I think the stipulations were that you couldn't sit for the, um, the board of surgery exam as well, that that was also going to hurt her application in the long run. Um, I don't know if some of those roles have changed. I know there was, there has been a period of transition over the last couple of years in in the um, accreditation of DO programs and sometimes integration. Yeah, there's lots, lots of fun changes coming up with the 2020 uh, changes with the AOA and ACGME. So still a lot to be determined, especially for these more competitive uh, fields like like surgery in general and surgical oncology. So it'll be fun. What 
are kind of the the areas of opportunity. Once you become a surgical oncologist, what else can someone do to even further subspecialize? So I think that um, the type of of research um, that you can entertain in residency and fellowship um, can guide your practice. And as more and more academic facilities have um, compelled surgical oncologists to pick one or two um, anatomic areas or types of cancer to specialize in, um, that can really sort of compel the subspecialization. So um, there are certainly surgeons who only do melanoma and breast and that only, uh, and then have a, a broad research track in that, that area as well. So that, that's sort of the, um, other way, although it's not, it's more of an informal, um, way that someone might say, I want my career to go in this direction, um, and, and be strategic about it. Um, but similarly, as other surgeons have done, you know, picking a, a niche um, or a skill set like the robotic surgery or minimally invasive surgery, and and picking a surgery that you become the the expert in um, is also um, possible. But again, that would sort of lead you down the path of being really in an academic environment. What? Do you wish the the primary care physician out there for for the future primary care docs listening to this? What do you wish they knew about what you're doing day in and day out to to help their patients and to help you? Well, more than more than anything, and I I know coming into a new town and a new practice environment um, has been really important for me to make sure um, my partners and providers know is that don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call. Um, if you are concerned about something and you uh, just want us to take a look at a film or you just want us to to do an exam on a patient or you're just not sure what the right next step is to just pick up the phone and call, you know, I think that phrase, it takes a village is, is more true anywhere than um, couldn't be more true than in our, our field of medicine um, we all need each other to to take the best care of patients, and and we all have our areas of that we're we're quote unquote expertise experts at or or better um, than other areas. So um, I certainly think that that's the first message to just uh, never hesitate to um, pick up the phone and call. I I certainly can recall um, the times when. Uh, you know, someone was unfamiliar with how to manage a cystic neoplasm of the pancreas and, and why would they be? It's the guidelines, um, are evolving and it's, it's not necessarily something that any, the average physician might keep up with. Um, but it's certainly something that, that we see more often and, um, certainly are, are always willing to, to help. Um, you know, this, the second thing is that um, we understand, um, uh, hopefully uh, in a compassionate way, that when somebody hears the word cancer, um, they want it taken care of yesterday, even if it's just the possibility of cancer. And so that urgency to kind of get to the diagnosis, work it up and start the treatment process um, can't be uh, underestimated. And so I think that um, you know, reaching out to us as partners and colleagues in, in taking care of their patients is, is always the, the key. 
What other specialties do you work the closest with? So I um, obviously cannot work in a bubble. I am I'm really wholeheartedly dependent on, on my cancer team. At um, Augusta University, we have a Georgia Cancer Center, and we um, intimately interact on a regular basis, a daily basis on an informal way, but on a um, formal basis, on a weekly um, uh, schedule for our tumor boards. And so it gives us a way to review uh, complex cases and, you know, determine the next best step. So that would be the medical oncologist, the radiation oncologist, pathology, radiology, um, our genetics counselors, um, and interventional radiology as well. We all really have to, to work together to, to do the rest the best we can. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for for surgical oncologists, like industry in some way or another or something else? Yeah, I think there there are surgical oncologists um, who do have relationships with um, and partnerships with industry, whether it's to um, trial new technology or um, to be speakers for medications or things like that. That's that's not something I've, I've entertained or, or done as a part of my practice. Um, but I do think that even perhaps more important than in our clinical environment, sometimes it's, it's, we can also serve perhaps, a as liaisons to the community. So just participating in community events, um, doing outreach talks in local churches or community centers, I think that is, is one of the, the nicest ways we can sort of, um, still kind of half put on our physician hat, but, but be um, just an educator out there in the community. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into surgical oncology? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hard um, field sometimes, both emotionally and, and physically. It's long hours and and I'm not sure if I had known everything that I would have done it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that sort of ignorance is bliss. And um, the the idea that um, you can, that someone could write down how many hours you're actually going to spend um, taking care of patients and being in the operating room or being on your feet all day. Um, I'm not sure someone in their right mind would sign up for it. <laughs> Now, I, on the other hand, I feel lucky and blessed every single day that I get up in the morning and get to do what I get to do. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so, um, but I'm not sure um, I could have or should have known everything there is to know. Um, I'm not sure I would have, would have picked that the same road. For the woman listening to this who is really interested in surgery but is potentially worried about the the male dominated operating room what advice would you have to her to potentially make themselves uh either more comfortable in that environment or stand up for themselves in that environment yeah so that's something i think a lot of female surgeons um are navigating will continue to navigate and you know, I think culturally we've all seen the 
um, increase in dialogue and interaction and um, sensitivity about gender issues in a lot of industries and in surgery included. And so I would say it's um, certainly uh, a better time to go into surgery as a woman than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And it's perhaps better than when I started residency um, in the sense that um, there are a lot of hashtag he for she is a lot of really supportive men in surgery um, and in medicine that uh, make this environment um, not only a place where you can be successful um, and thrive, um, but that you can reach to those positions of, of leadership. Now, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of room for improvement, but I think we're really on that road um, to having a um, an environment where uh, women really are treated with respect and treated equally. Um, I would say to any new female student or, or resident that's joining this field that um, you know you should always choose what you love, um, and there are always going to be challenges. Um, but the more women that have um, forged the path before me. Um, sort of created an environment where um, I was um, empowered along the way by both men and women who mentored me, and um, and they will they will see the same. What do you like the most about being a surgical oncologist? Well, that's hard. Um, I like the variety. I love the variety. I mean, it's uh, there's always a new challenge to every patient and every case that we encounter. Um, I think that uh, I love my patients. And so that's kind of the biggest reward is that you get to take care of people in a very vulnerable state and hopefully make them better. Um, and, you know, it's a intellectually and cerebrally always challenging. The, the treatment of cancer is just a moving target in any anatomical field. And so it's just, uh, um, the challenge of it, it never gets boring. It's, it's always, um, kind of an exciting place to, to work. What do you like the least? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I hate cancer, but <laughs> I, um, I hate when I can't do what I'm trained to do because, um, the cancer got away from us. And so that's probably the most frustrating part of the job is that you, some patients are, are either too frail or too sick to go through the surgery or the, the cancer has, has really just is the, the problem, the stage of the cancer. And so um, those are probably the two most difficult parts. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of surgical oncology that a future surge onc doc should be aware of? There's probably multiple changes at multiple levels. Um, I think, you know, the big brushstrokes are that um, technically um, more and more surgical oncologists are becoming facile with robotic surgery. Hmm. Um, and so that has... Um, it, it's a, a evolving process. I won't say that things have changed so dramatically, but it's certainly 
um, evolving. I think we're we're becoming um, technically more savvy and um, and I think you know as as we learn um, perhaps more and more biologically about the behavior of cancers at a cellular and um, intracellular level, those things that are uh, the, those research uh, and clinical trials that have sort of changed our treatment of surgery are now impacting the surgeon. And so those are the biggest brushstrokes that I can think of that have clinically changed our management um, would be those, those big new horizons because of new um, technical abilities. And then the, the, the drugs that we have available now to treat certain cancers is just kind of blowing away um, some of the surgeries we used to do. Any last words of wisdom for the medical student or surgical resident listening to this, thinking they may want to go into surgical oncology? I mean, I put my cell phone number on the <laughs> podcast, but I'm, I don't know who the audience is. Um, <laughs> I would say look for mentorship early. Yeah. Um, shadow as many kinds of physicians as you can to really figure out what you're passionate about. Um, the um, fact is that I didn't know I wanted to be a surgeon before I started medical school. And, and it was very, very late into my third year rotation. Um, surgery was my last rotation. And so it was um, one of those aha moments um, when you said, I, I should be burnout. I should be, you know, thinking about the next year ahead and, and all the things I have planned and, and all I want to do is be here and take care of these patients and be in the operating room and the light bulb sort of went off. But, but I think the earlier that you can expose yourself to different learning environments and different training environments, it's, you'll sort of be drawn to what's right for you. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Aurora talking about her journey to surgical oncology amazing career, amazing specialty, an amazing guest. Thank you, Dr. Aurora, for sharing your story. I hope this episode either got you interested in surgical oncology, or maybe you crossed it off the list. And that's the goal of this podcast, to give you more exposure to the specialties that maybe you didn't know existed out there. Now, surgical oncology isn't a very unknown specialty, but it's still a specialty that a lot of students maybe don't think about. They think of surgery and they go, ooh, gallbladders and, and colons and that kind of stuff. But we don't think about surgical oncology. We, we always think about oncologists or, or hematology oncology when we think about cancer. So great episode here with Dr. Aurora talking about surgical oncology. I hope this was helpful for you. Again, go check out our other podcasts all at mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.